New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Show and our latest dive into the listener questions post bag. On today's show, we're talking about soccer players eating spicy chicken, the worst ever season performances, and how to watch soccer games. Hmm. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me for the question party today, a man who's present and able today, unlike Dean Henderson when he has been forced to face his parent club, Man United, in the League Cup semi finals. Taylor Rockwell, quite a conundrum for your team. It is, man. I'm happy not to have to face Dean Henderson. I think he's a very good goalkeeper. But I sort of hate that rule that if you're on loan, you can't play against your parent club. Uh, Because, yeah, Dean Henderson finding out yesterday after a great performance, a great win, that he will not get to play that next round because it's against Man United. And you could see... The wind come out of his sails. It reminded me of Ivanovic, I think it was. Yeah, when he made the, was Chelsea made the Champions League final, and in the post game interview, when he's so excited, they tell him he picked up a second yellow and will be suspended. And you just see the life drain from him. It's a watch people die sort of moment, and it was kind of that with Dean Henderson yesterday. It was a Ralph Wiggum freeze frame moment. <laughs> I think didn't Steve Cooper have one of those on on air as well? And he was like, "Oh, didn't think about that." Done. That's yeah. it. Kicking yeah. the knickers. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, At least yes. he said it in a charming way. That's this good. is the, the League Cup semi-final: Southampton versus Newcastle and Forest versus Man United. Uh, joining us, a man who loves league, the League Cup, leagues, cups, all leagues and cups. Joe Lowry. Hello. That's just not true. I feel like I hate <laughs> most of those competitions. <laughs> I, I try to tolerate some of them. But I, I like Graham. Graham kind of took all the all the bullets the other day for talking about how he doesn't love the FA Cup. I'm kind of in the same boat. I struggle at times to get jazzed about the U.S. Open Cup, the one in my country. So getting all about the Carabao Cup or the leagues or whatever these are over in the U.K. That's it's just not going to happen. Okay, I've never. I wasn't ready for the. I was kind of expecting a yes and. I wasn't ready for the no <laughs> comma and I hate. <laughs> that was that was that was terrific, Joe Taylor. They didn't they didn't teach you that in improv. No, see, we we took different classes. Clearly, no hate. Period. End of scene. <laughs> All right. Um, well, yeah, there, there we go. We like soccer on this podcast. Is yes, the, we do. Uh, the headline yes, we do. from the intro here. Some of it. Uh, Some of it. <laughs> joining us, by the way, a man we just heard his name there. He doesn't have to Google Jamie Redknapp's shoes to do his shopping like I do. Graham Ruthven, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Did you find out the brand that they all wear, or is it, or is it just multiple brands, all the one right. style? So, listener, this is the thing. There is like a soccer pundit shoe um every every sky sports pundit wears the same shoe all the nbc ones do even if you look at the apple tv release they're all wearing the same shoe this black shoe with like a white sole on it so i put a call out this morning like where do i get these and it turns out everywhere there are multiple brands that do them so uh yeah 
I'll just including I'll just... former Total Soccer Show sponsor Greats. If you want a really nice pair of Italian crafted or Italian designed hey, hey, Brooklyn hey, hey, crafted former, shoes, former, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, is it not that time? Okay, I'll, I'll wait another fourteen and a half minutes. If people are wondering why this episode is starting off loose, uh, the the conversation that genuinely <laughs> immediately preceded the start of recording was whether or not a person <laughs> was lethally injected, and then Ryan began with anyway. Hello, and it was uh, it was a transition, I gotta say. Yeah, it's the tone of tone we're famous for around these parts, Tay-Tay, indeed. <laughs> that it is. Yeah, talk of a tone of tone. Chavi, by the way, Joe, I don't know if you saw this. Chavi, the Barcelona legend, says it won't be easy for Cristiano Ronaldo. The Saudi League is very competitive. As our resident Saudi League expert, Joe, do you concur? Ah, uh, that's, that's going to be a no for me on that, on that one. <laughs> Al Nassar already top of the league, or at least they were when we did that big thing episode. I believe they won over the weekend because there was this clip on social media of Ronaldo riding an exercise bike in the locker room and celebrating as his team scored because he wasn't allowed to play yet. No one really cares about that. I don't I don't really care about it either. Ryan, I, I think that might be Xavi doing some spinning. I don't know why he's spinning for Saudi Arabia. Well, I huh. mean, there are reasons I could think of, but Qatar would be the one I, I would think he would be spinning for. But Ronaldo know. can't be registered yet, and he needs... Some form of my reading of it is he needs a reference from his last club, which is funny. <laughs> Ronaldo having to go back to Manchester United to ask him for for a, for a, gl- a glowing reference for him to play for his new team. Yeah, good luck with that. Wait, uh, is Cristiano. that is that true? That can't. That's a it's, joke. It's right? not as it's not quite as uh, normy as a reference, but it's it's some form of yes, it's some form of document that Alnasar need from Manchester United. Alnasar apparently didn't realise this and it hadn't come <laughs> through yet. I presume it will come through soon enough. Wow. But yeah, that's why he couldn't play in that. Game. He's going to go epic. to the guy who cleaned his car at Carrington to uh, get the reference, isn't he? It's the best he can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some sort of mission. He's, he's, he's going to get you know that new agent that he's using, the the right hand man. He's going to he's going to be bri- uh, briefed and charged with uh, breaking into Carrington. Maybe get some tips from some of the people that have been breaking into all the houses around around me recently. Oh, anyway, gosh. there we go. Oh gosh. Well, I hope that clears itself up soon, Graham. Anywho, let's get to listener questions, shall we? Plenty have come in the mailbag. Thank you very much, listener, if you have contacted us. And if you'd like to, totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you'd like to contribute here. Kunal Patel has done exactly that. Kunal has asked Taylor, who from the soccer world would you like to see as a guest on Hot Ones? Mm -hmm. Now, Hot Ones, listener, if you're not familiar, the YouTube series hosted by Sean Evans, uh, celebrity interviews they have there where they uh, basically eat chicken wings that get hotter, progressively hotter, and hotter and hotter. Lots of talk of Scovilles and the Scoville levels, which is wonderful. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube channels, I say, Tete, um, there was a really good one with Dave Grohl where they basically look like they just got progressively drunker as well. Um, <laughs> David Blaine did a good one where they did some tricks as well. But who from the soccer world mm. do you think should go on the show? All right. I've got thoughts. I love this question. I love hot ones. I love how they always start with a really mild one. And the person being interviewed gets that answer, like the softball question about the charity thing they're doing or whatever it may be, the movie promotion. But then they start getting hotter and the questions get more intense or more sort of deep probing. And so the person is trying to handle that while also handling an incredible amount of heat. So with that in mind, I'm going to say no one who will be in character. I love Gordon Ramsay, but I felt like he was in the kind of Ramsay character, and that's not fun. No one who's going to completely bail like DJ Khaled did. And I want someone who's competitive enough that they will kind of try hard and kind of get into it the way I would say Bill Burr did on his. So with all that said, 
Uh, second place goes to Jurgen Klopp. First place goes to Pep Guardiola, oh. who I think would be fascinating to see. Probably be able to handle be able to handle the heat, and I imagine would be a bit like Stone Cold uh, Steve Austin. I've referenced him, I think, on this that his episode on the show before that he really just shows no pain the whole time and just kind of goes through it. And I feel like Pep would really fight that like pain, but also uh, answer some questions really honestly because he was under that uh, amount of heat. So questions like, what was it like playing under Cruyff? What are the most memorable, I didn't realize this would be part of the job moments when it came to managing? Like, I think you could get him to answer some, some sort of really interesting uh, questions because of that heat. So Pep Guardiola is my answer. I'd like to see him like crouch down on his haunches, go, come on, guys, as the, as the wings keep coming out, maybe peeling off one of his, uh, his non-rain-repellent jackets that he I wears. Think, uh, I think several people who've been on Hot Ones have had to crouch down on their haunches for different reasons. Uh, so hopefully not for that one, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Graham, I, I would suggest a manager as well. I think Jose Mourinho would be very good, not just because he's a pretty funny guy and would have some very good stories, but I think it'd be nice to see hot nonsense going into his mouth rather than coming out of it. <laughs> very, very good there. I, I went with uh, Erling Haaland for yep, no other reason than I want to see him consume food like a human because I'm not convinced <laughs> he, he does that. Because I'm not convinced he's a human. I'm convinced he does the Jackie Daytona thing of throwing drinks over his shoulder when, <laughs> when nobody is watching. There is no way he eats and drinks human food and I want to catch oh. him red-handed so we can take measures as a, oh. measures as a society to, uh, to stop him. Great. Great. I have... I have Erling Holland as well, and my reason is I want to know what happens to his circuits. So we were thinking on the very same <laughs> wavelength. Yeah. yeah, he's a robot. He's not real. So is is his fuel? Does he, does he like plug into like a Tesla charger or something? We don't know. Yeah. Oh, we do. We do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we do. We do. <laughs> well, I'm only guessing, Joe. We don't have scientific evidence yet. He's super. That's charged. why I want to get him on hot ones, and we can start the process of 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 examining him like ET. <laughs> I my concern I I really did almost have Holland as well and I think that's a very good answer. My concern is twofold. Number one, I am slightly concerned about watching him eat and like would he just like put the entire chicken bone into his mouth and then like <laughs> like spit out just a bone? Like can he go like T-Rex style? I don't know how he would eat. Uh but then bone also stripper. It, that I mean, <laughs> that's his new nickname officially. Uh but then also he's we've talked about his celebrations where he like mauls his teammates. It's a very tight set, I think, filming hot ones and I worry about the arms waving and him knocking over the table to hug Sean Evans when they finish the the 7th wing or something. I I, I could see problems but I still think Erling Holland would be pretty entertaining. He he did an interview with Gary Neville not so long ago. Gary Neville also has a YouTube channel, continue, continuing the YouTube chat um, called The Overlap, and it was it was something like nine questions for Erling Holland. And do they, he eat, asked do they him, eat tepid food that's not seasoned very well? Is that what they yeah. do on that one? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, he asked him on that on that theme. He asked Erling Holland, "What what would you have on a night off when you're not having to worry about about uh, football?" And he said a kebab. Which uh, oh boy. I don't know boy. if I buy that. That feel that feels like he he had to come up with an answer. What would a human say? What would a human say they'd have on a, fr- right, a kebab? Yeah, a kebab. <laughs> I'll have one of those. Because uh, the other side of it is maybe maybe that is the secret to sport and success. And I've been on to something from day one. Kebabs are the way to go. <laughs> the, the moment I knew that Wayne Rooney wasn't going to be an elite athlete for like very long into his career was there was a Manchester United questionnaire where they asked every player like, "What's your favorite food to have on a night off?" And of course, Cristiano Ronaldo was. You know, like steamed chicken and broccoli, and it was all very healthy ones. And they Dust. got to win Rooney, and he was like, "Bit of Chinese and some cans of lager." And I was like, "Yeah, that feels right. That feels right." <laughs> yeah. yeah, man after my own heart. Uh, <laughs> Joe, what are your thoughts on this one? I, I think personally, I'd like to see Harry Kane on there as well. Uh, just, I'd like to see how he handles the progressive um, 
heat. And also, I'd like to see Antonio Conte go absolutely spare yep. when one of his players ate something that wasn't on the regimented diet. I think that's beautiful. I have Antonio Conte, period, just doing this because, again, I, th- I think he's one of the more entertaining figures in soccer, and that's the best part about Hot Ones is you get to see these people that are entertaining or interesting for one reason or another, and Antonio Conte is that. I want to know, is he as tough as he looks? I don't know. Maybe he crumbles under the pressure. And, and does he hate all sauces or just ketchup, right? Those are the things that right. I really think we should be learning here. So Conte's on my list. Weston McKenney is as well. This is just great content. I'm I'm genuinely not sure, Taylor, and this is maybe a reason why it's not a good idea. To your point, you want someone who's actually going to try. And Weston McKenney feels like the kind of guy who gets to like the second wing, says this isn't ranch, and then gives up. But he, I, I mean, maybe the first wing was good enough content to make it worthwhile. I'm not really sure where to fall on that spectrum. Joe. I got you. I got you Please. here. I, I think all you have to do is put in a teammate with him. So throw in like Tim oh, Weah in there, good. and now he'll be competitive. Oh, because Tim we Weah's also going know that Weston McKinney likes to talk trash, likes to play around in yep. training. And I think yep. you put somebody who he can compete against, and there's going to be a lot of trash talking. There's going to be a lot of like, you're doing all right over there, man? Come on. You can handle this. What's up with you? And I like the oh, idea of them good. going back and forth talking a little smack. McKinney I love would that get, idea. Uh, McKenney would get sauce on his face, but then he'd have a photographer nearby that he could wipe his hands <laughs> and face on. <laughs> so there's three I of also, them. There's four. There's four. There's the host, Tim Wea, McKenney, and the photographer. Yes, photographer got to be in there. Uh, you all have also made me realize that Lutz Fanenstiel would probably be really good at this as well. I think given the career he's had playing on every in every confederation right and some of the, the craziness of his career, I think would be really interesting. And then we could also talk to him about St. Louis's roster build and what's going on there. Because uh, if you didn't listen to the other uh, show the other day, we've got some questions. We do indeed. I, I think Lutz would probably like drink one of the bottles and maybe flip the table. Oh, this was the hot one? As he drinks the entire bottle of the hottest one? Yeah, that feels right. That feels right. (laughs) Good stuff. Any more for any more on this one? Um, I'd want to see Kyle Walker do the Triple H water spray spit that he does with a pint of milk that they they give you on hot ones. That that would be messy, but but entertaining. Then I also had Kieran Tierney because... You could have him turn up with all the different sauces in his Tesco shopping bag, but I'd, I'd also really want to see how hard he is because you frequently see pictures of Tierney in his shorts and T-shirt and wind and rain and snow and all the Arsenal Southern softies like Ryan Bailey are, are wrapped up in their rain jackets, so this would just be another opportunity for, for Tierney to prove uh, how solid he is and uh, how, how much Scotland would uh, beat up England, essentially. Right. Um, final, final question for me on this one. Which one of us would do best at Hot Ones and why is it me? Oh, I I very much oh, think it's what? not you. I very much oh. think it's Taylor. You think Taylor, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we there. had we had Thai food together in New York, and I think Ryan, there was an element where you and Grandma oh, and I yeah, all had that... our spice levels <laughs> ratcheted up one. And I think I can handle spicy food pretty well, and I think you guys can too. But we were Ryan, you especially, like you were struggling. Your eyes were red. The two, there were so some I had tears that there. same meal. And I wasn't struggling as much as Ryan was. It was hot, Agreed. Ryan. I'll back you up. Like that was a very hot <laughs> meal, but. Just on that basis, I'm saying I'm at least doing better than Ryan. Taylor right. just ate his food quietly. He's like, yeah. oh, maybe they got the spice levels wrong as he shovels another bite into his mouth. <laughs> like, like a, what's like up, a you brave little baby men? You're not eating yeah. your spicy food? <laughs> it's Taylor. I, I think I was the only one who was throwing hot sauce on their breakfast every single morning as oh, well, you which is a weird thing to do with Cinnamon Toast Crunch, but sometimes you got to get it going. <laughs> with Cinnamon Toast Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. The cinnamon oh. wasn't spicy enough. What do you want from me? Kunal Patel, thank you very much for the question. More coming after this break. Back shortly. New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. 
With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Adam Kalin has been in touch. He asks how many Premier League teams are good enough to qualify for the Champions League if they played uh, for other top four leagues. For example, if they played in the Bundesliga, would Brighton be a top four team? Would Fulham or Leeds or Southampton? What if Premier League clubs played in La Liga or Serie A? Quite a good thought experiment here, Joe. I would suggest that a lot of success... Getting to Champions League qualification depends on maybe playing style as well as investment. But you have to think in terms of investment and values of squads, Yeah, middling Premier League teams are going to outdo quite a lot of the other top four league teams and would have a decent chance of getting into the top four, right? Am I just being too Premier League biased there? I don't think you are. I mean, I, I think there is now this undeniable current. Soccer is sweeping towards the Premier League and, and they're spending the most money on wages. And if there's one thing we know about soccer, and there aren't many things really that that we can say for sure about how to be good at soccer, it's that over time having the most money that you're spending on wages is the, the biggest correlation to success. And the Premier League is spending the most money right now of any league in the world. That includes the other elite European leagues. So yeah, I think there is something to that idea of mid-table Premier League clubs being at least in contention for European spots. And I'm not saying that, uh, what's a good example? Fulham is actually a little higher than mid-table right now. But I'm not saying that Fulham's going to go to the Bundesliga and beat Bayern Munich, right? There is There are limits to this. I'm not sure if they, they are going to finish on the top four or not, but I think they're trending higher up the table in other leagues. So I, I thought about this, and really the one team that I'm, I'm pretty confident right now from the Premier League would be in the top four in Germany, in Spain, and Italy, and in the top two, in France, because France only gets two Champions League spots, not four, is Liverpool. They had a tough start this season, but I think because of the difficulty of the schedule in the Premier League, because of how many games there are, because of how good those games are, more importantly, I think Liverpool would be higher up the table right now, pretty much anywhere else in Europe than they are in England. You've already got Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle, and Man United in the Champions League spots, at least as we're recording. I think Liverpool would be there. I think there's a chance that Chelsea, Tottenham, and and Brighton would all be there, depending on what league we're talking about. That's up to eight teams that I think could conceivably make the the Champions League spots pretty much anywhere in Europe besides, you know, leagues where there's there's maybe limited spots available. But yeah, I think Adam's certainly onto something here. Hmm. Graham, how about a team like, let's say the team that's 
in the middle of the pack, uh, tenth in the league right now, Chelsea. Could they possibly qualify <laughs> for the top four in other leagues? Uh, well, on the basis of their recent form, maybe not. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that on this week's uh, big thing, which I believe will be out tomorrow. But obviously, yes, they're in the round of, of 16 in the Champions League. So that in itself, uh, this season, they're in the round of 16 in the Champions League. I don't think they'll be in there next season. But nonetheless, that illustrates the, the depth of the Premier League. I, I agree with Joe. I think a good number of the Premier League teams would be as good as some of the a good number of the teams playing in, in in the Champions League. It depends on what league we're talking about in terms of the numbers. If it's La Liga, then maybe it's the top seven or eight Premier League clubs that would be good enough to make the top four because, of course, they have a big three with uh, Barca, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. And they have some depth beyond that as well. But then you go to Liga and I, I reckon you'd get down to about 12th or 13th place in the Premier League and you could put them in the top three in, 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 in France. West Ham made the semi-finals of the Europa League last season and they are sitting just above the relegation zone in the Premier League this season. So there's just unpar- unparalleled depth in the Premier League. You have um, clubs getting relegated, receiving 10 times as much for a season than clubs who win domestic titles around Europe. Nottingham Forest spent £150 million in the summer. As a promoted team, they signed Taiwo Awanye. I can never pronounce that. He was one of the best goal scorers in the Bundesliga last season. He goes to promoted team in the Premier League. You have Yao Polina, who is a first-team Portugal international. He goes to Fulham, a promoted team. You don't have any other league in, in European football at, at this moment in time that where that happens. And so, yeah, I think a good number of the Premier League teams are, broadly speaking, Champions yeah. League quality. Yeah, I, I think I think Joe and Graham have said it well. Ryan, I, I hear where you're coming from with the, like, am I just being too Premier League-centric? Do I have a Premier League bias? Maybe we do. But I think just the money spent, every club is able to spend so much more money. Like, I, we've talked about this in the past, how, like, finishing... I think like 15th in the Premier League is the same prize money as finishing like second in the Bundesliga. It's just there's so much money there to be able to spend, to be able to strengthen your squad. So they should, I think almost every Premier League team, I think should be able to qualify or finish high up the table in uh, some of the other leagues. The question then becomes, would they? And that's where I don't know if they would, because we've seen high-spending Premier League clubs crash out of the Champions League in the group stage of the knockout round. But I also think with some of these teams, having to be having to go from a like bunker and counter sort of style to being the team with the most money or a lot of the money and, and being more ball dominant, I wonder how they would handle that sort of shift. But I think about, say, Leeds United, who, where are Leeds in the table right now? Certainly in the bottom half, uh, 14th, 14th in the table. If you put Leeds into the Bundesliga, and with the money they have, the spending they've been able to put in, limited as it is, I feel like there's a chance they're challenging for top four. And that's a team that has been up and down, still questions about the manager, still questions about the, the quality of the squad. But I think could challenge for top four with the money invested and, and having a very specific style of play. So I think the answer is basically many of them should be able to. Would they? That's far less likely yeah. to me. I think I think a good case study for this is actually... Leicester City the season after they won the Premier League title so they they fell pretty hard after that that incredible fairy tale of them winning the title they finished 12th in the Premier League the following season Ranieri gets sacked they lose their their best two players immediately after winning the title they lose Mares they lose who was the other one they lost Kante of course in Golo Kante and of course they qualify for the Champions League they're not a very strong team that season they make the quarterfinals in the Champions League that season they get knocked out by Atletico Madrid eventually and that feels that feels right that's about the ceiling but I think that's a pretty good case study of 
even teams that are not particularly strong in the, in the Premier League, in a European context, they're, they're still good teams. All right. As a thought exercise then, Graham. Nottingham Forest, who spent, was it 140-something million in the summer? Mm. How high would they finish in uh, in other European leagues, do you think? Depends Depends on the league. So they're, they're not in the top four for Spain. For me, they're probably not in the top four in, in, in Germany either, or Serie A. Serie A actually has probably the, the best depth. You know, in terms of the, the, the top team, I don't think you can say that well, Napoli are maybe an exception this season, but the last few years, you look at Juventus and, and Inter and AC Milan, they've not been as good as the best teams in the Premier League, but they've got a big six, a big seven, even if you include At- Atalanta. So I don't think Nottingham Forest are getting anywhere near that, but but I think Joe mentioned Ligue 1 as maybe the weakest league in this category. Um, I, I, I believe it's three um, qualification spots they had this season. I don't know if that changes going forward, but I think Nottingham Forest would, uh, this is difficult. They would be in contention to finish in that top three in Ligue 1. I, I, I hope that doesn't sound too Anglo-centric. But yeah, they spent an absolute fortune and, and they've got better players than the teams in Ligue 1 around that mm. level, I think. League Cup semi-finalists, baby. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, thank you very much for that question. Very interesting one it was. Let's move on to Peter Shark's question, who says... Each year since the Invincible season, I track teams in the Big Five leagues to see if any have a chance of going undefeated and repeating Arsenal's achievement. This year, there's already no contenders. However, two teams still have a shot at doing the reverse and completing the season without a win. That's Elche in La Liga and Cremonense in the aforementioned Serie A with its depth and a team which hasn't got a win yet. Which team is more likely not to win a game this season? Uh, when was the last time a team didn't win a game in a whole season in a big league, says Peter? And what would you call this achievement? Is it the Vincibles? Excellent. Um, I, I have, Taylor, found a few examples. I wouldn't necessarily class them as big leagues, but I did look at the worst, what is regarded as the worst Premier League team ever, which was Derby 2007-08, who got 11 points and were generally terrible. They got a win. They beat Newcastle and they got eight draws as well. So they hadn't. Yeesh. there hasn't been a winless Premier League season. Yeah, I, and we're not going to get one this year. We know that. But to, to the question, first of all, to the question of what should we call this team if and when it happens. But- uh, the inv- <laughs> Yes, that one. Uh, Invincibles, I think vincere is Latin for conquered or vanquished. So I'm just going to say the conquered or the vanquished is, is the team that doesn't win a single game. My gut says whichever team, uh, to this question between uh, Cremonense and Elche, whichever team is competing in a league that has more teams with more to play for. And looking at the table, I think that means that Elche are more likely to go winless because yeah. in Serie A, you've got a few teams that are that seem very likely to be relegated. I think they're all like like a few more than a few points back. So you could see all of those teams sort of not caring and then some of the teams that are safe in April maybe taking their foot off the pedal a little bit. Whereas in La Liga, it's much tighter. There's really only one team, Elche, who are very likely to go down. And so I think with that battle, everybody's going to be scrapping for points. And I think Elche will continue to be the team that everybody goes for to get those three points or to get all six points, I guess, over the course of the season. Yeah, El- Elche just can't score goals. So I've watched them a few times this also season. Also that, kind of important. They are, yeah. they are completely toothless, which is surprising. They, they, they frequently play a 4-4-2, 
But the, the front two of like Roger and, and Pons, Alex Collado's actually had a very good season so far. And there's a bit of chat around him in the January transfer window, but he can't he can't do it all on his own. And and so I also watched Criminense just by chance the other week they were playing Juventus. And maybe this is uh, an indictment on Juventus rather than praise of Criminense. But Juventus struggled to break them down. So I don't think they score a great deal of goals either, but they just they just looked a lot more solid as a team. So somewhere along the line, they will they will nick one. I'm not convinced Elche will do that. That was uh, that was Graham's version of a flex. That was like the hardest soccer podcast yeah, flex of bit, all time. Graham just dropping actual knowledge about the two worst teams in Europe right now. I, I think it's going to be Elche as well. I took a slightly different tact. I didn't watch a ton of these games. I didn't think too much about the, the relegation race either, although I love both of those angles. Uh, really, Elche have four points this year. And they've just been the worst team so far. Looking at the results, looking at some of the numbers, I believe Cremonese have seven points. Um, so they have a little bit of an edge. And Elche are worse in terms of points per game. They're worse in terms of goals scored. They're worse in terms of expected goal differential. Elche are negative 1.35 expected goal differential per 90 minutes. That basically means they're giving up a goal and a third's worth of chances more than they create for themselves every single game. It's real hard to operate at that deficit for an entire season and do much of anything. So I do have Elche here. I looked up some other things to do. If you're an Elche and, and don't want to go watch a soccer game, uh, I looked up <laughs> some other things to do. So this is the club's 100th year anniversary, 2023. It's our 100th anniversary as a club. I know that sounds nice to go and watch a game in their 100th se- Don't. Don't do it. They're bad. They're really, really bad. <laughs> so what you should do instead, there's apparently palm tree groves in Elche. They have some great architecture, very old in, in this, uh, shoot, what is it, southeastern portion of Spain. And then apparently there's something called the, quote, mystery play of Elche. I would assume that's been translated, which is some sort of sacred musical drama. I'm just intrigued by that. So I don't know that we've planned our next TSS get-together, but if we're going to do it this season and if we end up in Elche, let's skip the soccer and go see the play instead. Um, I actually, Joe, funnily enough, I looked up things to do in Cremona, where Cremonense is. Uh, Number one, drink a tiny coffee. Number two, eat a pizza. Number three, look at old buildings. Number four, get shouted at. That's it. And, That's and have some sort of in Rome. Yeah, yeah, have some sort of power issue with your laptop and your wiring in your house, all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. There's Checks many out. things can be done. It's very fun. Uh, Graham, I actually found uh, in terms of teams who have gone a whole season without winning Brecon. a game. Yeah, Brecon City. Brecon, yeah. They got pumped to quote Graham Rudman. Um, <laughs> to quote the Arbroath commentary team, 2017-18 <laughs> season in the Scottish second tier. Yeah. Uh, they drew four matches uh, out of 36 and lost the rest. Yeah, so I actually, I actually remember this pretty vividly. It was a story at the time that Brecon were going a full season without winning a single game. Um, that would have been a rough one for their fans, even if they do really good soup at Glebe Park. It's one of my favourite away days, actually, Brecon City. Brecon City in the Championship. So this, I've spoken about this before, and I'll keep this very short because I could go very nerdy on this. The Championship is, is part full-time, part, part-time in Scotland. It's the only league that's like that. Brecon were the only part-time team in a full-time league. That maybe provides some context as to why they were so bad but they were also bad in a greater context because they got relegated in, in three seasons in a row and they're now no longer in the SPFL pyramid they're below Sterling Albion now so yeah this was the start of a spiral a death spiral for them oh, um, and if anybody wants to uh, go cross sport three as far as I know NFL teams have managed to go winless the 1960s, uh, 1976 Tampa Bay Buccaneers with their orange and white uniforms that definitely needed a rebrand. They were 0-14. The Detroit Lions, of course, going 0-16 in 2008. 
and the Cleveland Browns in 2017 going 0-16. Uh, an impressive feat to lose every single game of an NFL season. The Browns, the Lions, and the Bucks have all managed to find a way. Wow. Did When the, when, uh, the Colts got Andrew Luck, did they not go... Did they like, win one game or something? I, can't remember. I don't they, know. That's they a good question. Suck, suck for luck. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought yeah. you just wanted to get uh, that in there somehow. <laughs> I've been waiting years to use that on this podcast, and here we are today. Ryan just has a list of random phrases written down that he slowly crosses off over the year, and he finally got to cross that one off. Sock Big day for, for Ryan. Luck. Big day. All right. Yeah. Andrew, like, wasn't he a, a soccer guy? I think, his, um, he I think his father was involved in soccer, possibly. Memory banks are scrambling right now. But, uh, yeah. Anyway. None of us can help you here, right? <laughs> no, blank faces. Brain scramblers. Uh, a couple other teams um, recently who went uh, zero wins in a season. Virtus in the Campeonato Sabadinense di Calcio, which is the San Marino Championship. Yeah, big league there. They went um, in 2018-19 without a win, as did uh, KEK. Keck? In the Football Super League of Kosovo in 2018-19 as well. There's a couple of others, but nothing too major. So maybe Elche and Cremonense will be among the first big five teams to do it. Mm. Who can say? There, I actually found there were four teams who went an entire season without even a draw. So that that is a that's a bad season. So Antigua Bar- Barracuda lost all 26 matches mm, of the 2013 Barracuda. USL Pro season. Gibraltar Phoenix lost all 14 matches. I mean, 14 matches. That's a that's a short season, but they lost um, 14 games out of 14 in the Gibraltar Premier Division. Uh, English non-league team Longford AFC a 30 game season in the Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire Northern Senior League Division Two, the 14th <laughs> tier in the English Pyramid. They lost all their matches, and then Gremio. Barauri in, in Brazil um, in the Sao Paulo State Championship lost all 19 matches. Oh, Grêmio a big only... team? No, I, well, I assume, I assume it's not that the other one. one. That's yeah. not that one, yeah. Different Can't one. be that one. Not the Ronaldinho <laughs> one. Understood. <laughs> Grêmio, uh, not that one is their official uh, slogan <laughs> as a club. Peter Shark, thank you very much for that question. Let's go to Richard Rolson, who says, oh, it's got a specific question for Graham Ruthven here. More Scottish Me. stuff. Uh, the Scottish Premier League has been dominated by Celtic and Rangers for decades. Is there another Scottish team that could, in the next five years, have a legitimate shot of breaking into winning the Scottish Premier League? Is it just an issue of money, or is there another reason no other team has challenged to win the league? Graham, when I saw this question, immediately I thought of Hearts. Now they've got that Waystar Royco backing for them. <laughs> <laughs> or was it, Yo, is it, is it Is it Hearts or Hibs? Yeah, I can't it's remember which one he actually... He's, he's a Hibs fan, right? Logan Roy, which is weird because he's from Dundee and they've got they've got two teams that he could support. But anyway, um, yeah, maybe that Waystar Royco money is, is going to propel Hearts into the big time. Without that money, there's absolutely no chance that another team besides Celtic and Rangers will win the Scottish Premiership in the next five years. I'll go further than that. There's no chance it'll happen in the next 10 years. There's no chance it'll happen in the next 15 years. Um, the financial imbalance is just absolutely gigantic in Scottish football. Out of the top 50 paid players in Scotland, 49 play for Celtic or Rangers. Um, if, if any team was to do it and, and win a title, you'd be looking at Aberdeen, Hearts or Hibs, they're, they're the closest to Celtic and Rangers in terms of, of size. Not really that close, but nonetheless, they are relatively big clubs. But Rangers' wage bill last season was eight times higher than any of those three teams. Celtic's was 12 times higher. 
So the, it, as I say, the disparity is just too big. The bottom team in the Scottish Premiership's wage bill last season was 20 times lower than Celtics, who won the title. Um, so you can talk about you know a Leicester City fairy tale happening or a golden generation coming through. I just don't see how that can even happen when there's just such a gulf. And to provide some context, it would be like, I went and looked at the wage bills of championship clubs in England and Premier League clubs, and it would be like one of the smallest clubs in the championship, like Blackpool or Rotherham, winning the Premier League over a 38-game season with their current wage bill and squad. It's it's just not going to happen. It's just not realistic. All right, Graham. So then my follow-up question to this, and like... Kind of, I guess, inspired by Ryan, but I had a similar thought about that succession plot line in which they buy a club, <laughs> with the idea being that like there's going to be a European Super League, we'll sell them on, we'll make a ton of money. Uh, I don't know how feasible that one actually is, but my question for you, if there were like an oil state that wanted to maybe invest a little bit less but still have success, it does feel to me like Scotland is a potential place where you could have some success because I think a little bit of money goes a lot longer of a way than it would in, say, the Premier League. So starting off, if an oil state were going to buy a non-Rangers or Celtic Scottish club, what is there one that you think is most capable of becoming like a, a big club? I was looking at attendances, starting and out, I yeah. think it drops Start, off yeah, pretty strong <laughs> from like... When Celtic and Rangers are each like fifty and thirty thousand seat stadiums, and then it drops to like fifteen or twenty. So yeah. I don't know how quickly you're going to turn attendances around, but is there a, a team that could, with a huge uh, cash infusion, maybe close that gap a bit? Well, the two Edinburgh clubs feel like mm-hmm. the best place. Obviously, you're you're talking about Scotland's second city, the capital, biggest population. Someone say the first. Uh, city. Source no, well those people how's, be wrong. How's it the second uh, city if it's the capital? Explain yourself. Because Graham decided Glasgow's it's the Finger. second city. <laughs> because Graham lives in Edinburgh. Glasgow. That's why. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I live here, so that's why it's first city. Yeah. Graham lives Glasgow's where the bigger than Edinburgh. Are. Quite a that's, bit bigger. That's, actually. that's the thing to remember. Graham lives where so? the dummies are. Is is Toronto bigger than Ottawa? I don't know. I, I don't know which one of those is meant to be the first and second city. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was lost on me that that, right. that that point but yeah Glasgow's the first city Edinburgh's the second city as proven by the, the soccer landscape Celtic Rangers two biggest clubs by, by a million miles but anyway yeah Edinburgh and actually there's, there's been some, there's been an influx of investment in Scottish football the last few years Hibs have an, an American owner Ron Gordon I believe he's in telecommunications or something like that Heart, Hearts are um Funnily enough, Hearts are fan owned, and they are doing much better of the two. They've been in they've been in European competition. They've got the, the third strongest squad in Scottish football by a distance right now. Hibs are an absolute mess, so just proof that maybe having having money isn't the solution to all problems. But yeah, one of the Edinburgh clubs, I think. But like, could that be? Like I know, I know it's not going to be nearly as glamorous. But to me, there's like a built-in narrative of we're trying to restore parity. Like I think you could be less of the bad guy investing in Scottish football in some ways because it's less glamorous. But I think you, if you could overtake one of those two with with a bit of spending, it does seem like you are then guaranteed to be in the Champions League pretty much every single season. How far you go remains an issue. But like, could that be? A, a a a way to go, or do you think it's just it's just not enough there for people to to splash that amount of money? There there is a route into European competition, and I wrote something on this about how the Europa Conference League has I think um, made Scottish clubs more attractive because clubs like Hearts are are getting into those competitions guaranteed. Aberdeen have a good shot of getting in there as well. 
Um, the problem is FFP. So you compare it to to Newcastle United. All the money that they've got, and look, they're doing very well this season. You wouldn't say that they have completely splashed the cash yet, at least related to the resources. And that's re- that's because they're restricted by FFP. That that's a club with fifty thousand. You know, at fifty thousand crowd every single week. I know it's related to the Premier League, so the context is slightly different. But Hearts and Hibs get fifteen thousand a week. You know, Aberdeen get ten thousand, and you're comparing that to Celtic Rangers, who sell out every single week 15, 50 and sixty thousand seater stadiums. Played both played in the Champions League this season, so you've got the revenue of that. As I say, maybe one day that the Gulf will minimise. It's just going to take such a long time. That's why I say 15 years. Like It's not going to happen in, in the next decade. I, I, I can almost guarantee that. So, Graham, is this a problem? Right, Because for me as an American, right. and maybe no one cares at all about what this random American thinks. This is Scottish football. We do it our way. We're angry all the time. We yell at the referee, all that good stuff that we talked about on the Patreon. Or we'll talk about <laughs> it. I'm not sure if that episode's gone out yet or not. Like, is, is this a problem? Because to me, it feels like a problem. It feels like the Bayern Munich problem. But worse, because Scotland is a league that needs eyes in terms of its ability to grow if it wants to grow. Germany already sort of has that. Bayern Munich, Dortmund, there's other teams, other stories. They're playing at a higher level. Scotland doesn't have that. feels like they, they, they need to do something different because I don't understand where the viewing interest is coming from outside of diehard fans that are already there. So I would say it's, it's a better situation than the Bundesliga because we've got two teams that can <laughs> sure, win yeah, the title, guess, yeah. essentially. And the Bundesliga doesn't have that with, with Bayern Munich. Like two, two, two still feels like, like very little, like too little yeah, to have I, a real competition. I, I totally understand that. Yes, it is, I guess it is a problem. We have discussions all the time about improving grassroots football and how we can develop more players and particularly how we can make our clubs richer. That's That's been the biggest issue recently. But to be honest, there's not really much of a discussion about closing the gulf because... It feels futile. It's just, it's not going to... Scottish football has a, a short a short-termism issue where we only really plan one and two seasons ahead. And so looking 20 years ahead to the to where we might have a league with a, a team from Aberdeen, a team from Edinburgh that can challenge the old firm teams just isn't on anyone's radar at all. And I guess that's related to money where you have clubs at the bottom of the Scottish Premiership like Ross County who they can't do any long-term planning because they're living season to season. They're signing they're signing players on one-year contracts, two-year contracts if they're particularly uh, you know have have a, a a lot of faith in a single play, in, a, in a player. But there's there's not a lot of long-term planning in Scottish football, so mm. I, I guess that's a, a big factor. But yeah, as a neutral as an outsider, I can see why you would think it's a problem. I maybe it is a problem, but as a Scot who is used to it, like it's just it's how the it, way is. it is. And yeah. and people treat third place in Scottish football like almost like a trophy. If you finish third third in Scottish football, you are the best outside the old farm. You get into European competition. That is that is a that is a big prize. So I guess maybe it's just about the context. Graham, shades of a frog being boiled and being like, look, if you can't handle this water, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right, right there, I gotta say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my team are in. We are like three divisions away from this as well. So Joe, you're asking me about like the Scottish Premiership, and I'm like. Well, it's not my league. Like, it's not. It's not my problem. Scottish the Scot the Scottish league too is very competitive. Uh, you know, but not maybe not the Scottish Premiership. Hashtag not my league. Thank you very much, Richard Rosen, for that one. Graham Rosen reporting from Scotland's second city. There. Uh, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, a couple more questions. Back shortly. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat. Move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. 
We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trap over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. A reminder, if you're not in the Patreon, gang, 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 I did it again, Joe, uh, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show to join in the fun. We've got a very active Discord. We do bonus shows, videos. It's wonderful. Join us there if you are so inclined. Uh, Michelle Sellers has been in touch. Why do some of the FA Cup games have VAR and others do not? If not all stadiums are equipped, wouldn't it be more fair to use it for none of the games, especially when there are already a lot of complaints about VAR and its use? Taylor, I have to say I 100% agree with Michelle here because if you have a single competition where not everybody has the same rules, which is what it is because there's a different kind of rule set with VAR, isn't there? Or certainly a different... Uh, way of adjudicating the games that completely affects the integrity of the competition all should have it or none should have it surely taylor yeah i I mean i I would agree with that uh the fa does not uh but yes i I think that is a a fair way to see things what it reveals to me is just that like the premier league has come to really enjoy the ar and i think it does make officiating a little bit easier even if it's more complicated at the same time but you're not going to miss those big calls, those big moments, there's always that sort of safety blanket in place. And so from what I read, it's basically that the FA 
uh, didn't apply for full usage of VAR. They haven't gotten the full license, at least across the top four leagues. Only the Premier League has that license, so only Premier League clubs have the sort of capability to utilize it. Um, and so you, I think some of the clubs that have been relegated from the Premier League can still do it, but for the most part, it is it is Premier League-related, Premier League-centric clubs. Uh, the EFL opted against uh, putting in that, that amount of money to then have VAR everywhere. So I think it's basically, yeah, some have it and some don't, but the ones who don't chose not to have it, so that's on them. And the ones that did are going to use it because it makes officiating easier. I'm guessing that is what the FA would say. Uh, I look forward to Joe and Graham uh, because they might have a bit more detail, but that was uh, about the way I saw things. It does seem odd to not have everybody utilize it, but I guess if some have it, they're going to go with it. Graham, your thoughts on this one? It it seems to me, obviously there's a cost effect here, so not all teams can have it in yeah. the top four leagues. Oh, and the FA Cup's open to non-league teams as well, so it'd be quite impractical for everybody to have it, but I think I think you should switch it off in the Premier League right. stadiums. So I was going to ask for that clarification. You would rather have it all off rather than at some grounds, right? Yeah, that's it, correct. That's, that's that, your stance. Surely that affects the integrity of the competition if some ha- are playing by a different rule set than others. It's a different game, effectively, yeah. isn't it? Can I play devil's advocate? I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with this this viewpoint, but would it be more ridiculous to have VR at some matches and not turn it on? So imagine you have a, you have a big incident at the Etihad or Anfield or one of the big stadiums that equip, is, is equipped with VR. And everything is in place for them to look at it, but you can't turn it on. Do you, is that more ridiculous than than not than uh, the yeah. card, what they've gone with? Not, not for me. Magic is. of the FA Cup. <laughs> Magic of the Cup. Integrity of the Cup. Ryan put on his <laughs> monocle for this question. Uh, I, I I hear you, Graham. I think. It feels, I think it feels weird to not, it's like everybody uses it or nobody uses it. Everybody gets a cookie or nobody gets a cookie. You can't just have the one. Uh, but you're right that you you also then set the stage for something to go horribly wrong where Liverpool don't have it on and uh, Blackpool, we get a lot of love for Blackpool in this episode. Blackpool would have won the game, but VAR wasn't there, so they didn't get the goal. And then that becomes a talking point unto itself. I feel like either way, people are going to be annoyed. Either Ryan's going to be annoyed or Graham's going to be annoyed. Uh, one way or the other, somebody's frustrated. Yeah, I mean, the least ridiculous thing to do here, uh, and there are a set of equally ridiculous options, would be just to have VAR on all of these stadiums. But that's it's difficult to do, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to that in a cup context. But either way you're going to have some bad outcomes. Like Either way, you're, you're going to have the VAR on. In some places, you're going to miss a call that you know in a, in a stadium that didn't have VAR, and that's going to be silly. Or you turn all the VAR off so everybody's playing evenly, and you know all these different events happen, and you look silly for not turning it on. There's, there's really no ideal option here, but ultimately, I agree with Michelle's premise. Ryan, I, I 100% agree with you. I think you have to make it even in one way or another, and if you're not going to have the equipment and the ability to do that in every stadium for this game in a specific round, then you should turn it off because yeah. otherwise it is, it's not the same. What about a compromise here? So I think to have the whole of the FA Cup covered by, F- by uh, VR, excuse me, is just, it's not feasible. So the FA Cup is this giant, huge, sprawling competition. If you include the pre- preliminary rounds, there's 600 games every season in the FA Cup. There are 12 rounds proper once you get into the competition proper. So it's just not feasible when you're looking at £9,000 a game to have VAR at a stadium. So how about you have it from the quarterfinals onwards? You're kind of hedging your bets that it's going to be the big clubs that can afford that amount by the time you get to the quarterfinals. And if it's not, 
that game is likely to be on TV. So say you have a say you have a fairy tale run by a small team that gets to the quarterfinals. That team team that game will be on BT Sport or ITV or whatever. They'll get the revenue from that from that TV game, and then they can afford to pay for the VR. Would Ooh. that not be a good compromise? Oh man, you solved the issue, Graham. That's it. Look at you arbitrating our problems over here. I there like, we go. And then I want to extend that further to make it the prize money for like making it to the quarters is that if you if your stadium doesn't have VAR, the FA will pay for the upgrade to allow you to have VAR going forward. So there's an incentive to make that quarterfinal if you are a smaller club Rather than everybody's than paying for your VAR you system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, it costs four hundred million dollars. Money, please. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Michelle, thank you very much for that question. One final one for this here episode from Michael Norton. I want to continue growing my understanding of the game. So I'm curious, how do each of y'all watch soccer games when you're analysing them and preparing to discuss them on the show? Do you pick one or two key players and watch them the entire game? Do you track formations? Do you assess lineups or pre-game comments to speculate on a team's strategy? Do you reference specific stats during or after the game to see if your eye test matches the stats? Or does it vary by game depending on what you know about the teams? Or do you have a completely different approach to watching the games, says Michael. Um, I think, Joe, uh, we probably all have a different approach to doing this, but there's probably a little bit of everything that Michael has mentioned there that goes into analysing a game, right? No, I think so. And and there's almost two different ways to think about this, right? So... I'll be honest, the way I would analyze a game if I was trying to play act as like a match analyst is probably different than the way I would end up analyzing games for the show because of either, you know, we're going to talk about seven games on a weekend review and there's not time to dive into all of them or or, or even amongst us, right? I think we got a good look at this when we were in New York. There, All four of us sort of have a different role in the show. And so, Ryan, the way that you look at a game and the way you think about it and talk about it is going to be different from Graham, is going to be different from Taylor, is going to be different from me. There's all all sorts of different angles here, but I think generally, I put um, I put some thought into my notes and try to take as much out of the game and, and remember as much of it as possible, and then communicate the interesting stuff on the show. So I put my my actual note taking approach that I used during the World Cup on the Patreon. So Michael, if you want to check that out, I I sort of walk through what that looks like. But generally speaking, as a quick overview. Pick the game that we're watching that we're going to talk about. Think about what I already know about those teams. If I know some stuff, it gives me a little bit of a foundation. And then if if stuff that happens that's unexpected, then that's an interesting talking point for the show. If I don't know much about any of the teams, I'll do some research, maybe some reading about how they play or look at some stats or, or ask people that I trust to have watched them. Or I'll just watch the game, right? Most often it's going to be that one. I'll watch the game, look at the lineups and look at sort of how they're laid out and then see if that's actually where the players go. Most often those lineups that you see online are super wrong in terms of where players are, at least where they're going during the game. So I'll look at sort of where they're positioned in the attack, where they're positioned in the defense, and then try to figure out what teams are doing, right? What's their intent? How are they trying to play? Do they want the ball? Do they not want the ball? Are they pressing? Are they not pressing? You know, look at all of those kinds of things. And then basically it's just answering and asking questions. Like I'll I'll watch the game, try to understand why something happened. If I figure out a good answer or don't understand, maybe one of those things is an interesting talking point regardless. And then it's going through and picking out the key moments and, and sort of the key questions that I either could answer or couldn't answer from the match. I think that's a rough overview of, of, of what I try to do. Like I said, it, it kind of depends on the context and maybe even what the specific show is, but it's it's generally something along those lines. Mm. I, th- I think it's pretty fascinating how we can all be, like in New York when we did the World Cup analysis, we can all be watching the same screen, but we're all taking different things from yeah. The information in front of us right and we're all doing it for different purposes i suppose for me i think i'm probably the most basic out of all of us due to the nature of my role 
uh, in analyzing a game. For me, I'm watching the game. I'm making notes on key events, players who stand out or not. Potential talking points is all I'm looking for. I'm, I'm making a linear list of things that happen and picking out potential talking points, which I can raise with you guys. So for me, I'm not really analyzing per se. And then I look at the notes that you guys take and Taylor with like the penalty diagrams. And yeah. Everything's very fastidious and well organized. And I feel like I'm a million miles away from that. But with, <laughs> I suppose because Taylor, we're serving different purposes. Yeah, and also I'm a lunatic, so like don't forget <laughs> that part. Um, yeah, that that is. I mean, I like the color coordinating because it allows me to do a couple different things at once. To answer Michael's question, first from like a broader perspective, if you are getting into soccer, if you're new to soccer, you want to expand that knowledge. The number one thing I would say broadly is just go to games because in person, so much easier to understand what's happening, what players are doing. You're not just getting the sort of cropped version of who's on the ball because I think oftentimes just watching the ball doesn't give you a very full picture or the, certainly not the full picture at all. You've got to see what everybody else is doing off the ball. Um, I think watching either by yourself or with people who are also trying to figure out what's happening is a pretty good way to grow your knowledge. If you're at a bar and somebody's screaming about how that player sucks, like you're going to then spend an, an inordinate amount of time, I think, wondering, does that player suck? Or they do suck, and it, it biases you a little bit, same with commentary. So I think those are broadly some things. In terms of how I try to do it, I think I probably split the difference. Uh, I, I take notes on – I'm looking at my notes now. Uh, like I will definitely track what happens in the game. In the 13th minute, this shot happened because this happened. Uh, and that will usually be with one ink and then the, the inks that correspond. So if it's Chelsea versus Man United, I'll usually have a black pen, a red pen, and a blue pen. And then the blue pen is for – specific things Chelsea are doing if I start to see a pattern, if I start to see this player makes this overlap so that this player can go here, I'll try to take note of how often that's happening and then how often that evolves from there. Uh, And so I can kind of pay attention to what each team is trying to do tactically, uh, where they're they're setting up players in the formation and how that formation evolves, and then also taking broad strokes notes on just the gameplay itself. Yeah, you're right. You are a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's how I, it makes sense, man. It's how no, it makes it, sense. It, it makes sense to different people in different ways, of course. And you, you, we all have our process. I love the way that you do the analog thing with using an actual pen, where I think the rest of us sit with laptops as well, which is pretty interesting. I started doing that in the World Cup just because there were so many games. And it really does, to do it like the way I take notes by hand, I think you have to be in front of a screen, like at a desk, really locked in that wasn't the most fun uh Mm. way to do it i think i i I think i stole joe's model of having one uh google drive document that you just keep populating and then it ends up being yeah 700 pages of notes from various games in the world cup and and graham how about you because i know you you use a laptop but obviously you've got one hand with the cereal bowl at all times (laughs) so it's a bit of multitasking effort for you yeah no hot sauce on my cinnamon toast crunch though i just go (laughs) straight with the cereal coward Coward, yeah. Um, I definitely have, I think I've got two settings in this regard and how I watch football. So I, I definitely have a passive setting. So for instance, Southampton Man City was on the TV last night. I was on my laptop. I was, I was, um, what was I doing? Doing a bit of work. I was messaging friends. I'm not really, I'm not really analysing that match. I know what happened in it. I, I watched it and I think in that sense, Ryan, I echo a lot of what you said. I'm I'm taking note of the the match incidents, who scored the goals, things like that. But then I've got another setting where really if if it's a game a game I'm going to have to talk about on on the show. So for example, this weekend we've got two derbies in the Premier League with the Manchester derby and the North London derby. 
I know I'm going to have to break down those games. So during those games, I'll have a Google Doc open. And I guess my one set routine, I agree with Joe, there's not... It depends on how on what I'm wanting from the match. So for instance... Um, I watched PSV early in the season and I watched that game and it was purely my main interest was Cody Gakpo. I want to see how good Cody Gakpo is. So I watched him almost entirely for the full match. I wasn't really that interested in PSV. But the Manchester Derby and the North London Derby, it's more about the event as a whole. So I guess the set routine I'll have for those games is I'll look at the lineups when they come out and I will think about how those teams will play with that lineup. I'll make some predictions in my head of what we're going to see from that lineup. Then once the match starts, I'll contrast those preconceptions with how they are actually playing. And then I'll ask myself questions of if it's if it's the if it's different to how I expected they would play, why is it different? What are the differences between the two things? I guess that probably gives me some framework for when I'm for when I'm analysing a game. Mm. And I'll and I'll say for Michael for his question, if he wants to continue growing his understanding of the game, it's about reps as well, isn't it? It's about watching games. I wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself to have a particular technique or to have a, a certain discipline for analysing a game because it, it kind of comes with time. Would you agree with that, Taylor? Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that then, taking your time to watch a game is a, is a good way to do it. I think turning off your phone, not looking at Twitter. Again, Twitter is going to bias turn you, off. but also as soon as... What's that? <laughs> Phones turn off now? Yeah. What? Is that possible? Uh, yeah. I, I think that. that that's a thing for me where if I get pulled into Twitter, not only am I looking at what other people are saying or other people's takes and like, I thought that that team was good, but everyone's saying they're terrible. So maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I think it just also it takes your focus away from the game itself. And so I think one of the best things you can do and a thing that is one of my favorites to do is if there's a moment that you don't understand what happened or why it happened or how did that goal come about going back and slowing it down and watching step by step and seeing oh this player moved into this space and that pulled this defender over does he do that every single time let's watch and and so I think in that way you can start to gain an appreciation for like Roberto Firmino is a player who so many of my friends thought is garbage because he doesn't score goals what's wrong with this guy how do you not score goals playing for Liverpool how are you not the leading goal scorer in the league when you've got those people like pumping in assists and you watch him play and it's he can score but he's also big on dropping deeper and facilitating play and vacating space so that other players can attack it and you start to gain an appreciation for those little things that players do but I think that's really hard to do if you're not taking your time and slowing it down to truly try to understand what's happening in the moment yeah the other thing I'd say is there's there's no correct answers in analysis of soccer either so if you're listening to us and we're saying one thing and you think something different that is that's absolutely fine that that is you know it's it's, it's subjective to 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 a point so that that's the other thing yeah. I uh, yeah and then if you would like to engage with us in that difference uh we we welcome that when it's like hey Graham you mentioned this I saw it this way w- what do you make of that difference versus hey idiot then maybe I'm less likely <laughs> to have uh, that civil discourse back and forth mm. eh, sometimes I like the vitriol well giving it or receiving it uh, giving it. <laughs> there it is. There we go. Michael, thank you very much for that question. Thank you to everybody indeed who submitted questions for this show. Keep them coming, listener. Thank you very much. But for now, Graham Ruthven, you no, no vitriol in this show. Very proud of you. Thank you very much. Not yet anyway. There's still time. That's thank true. you, Ryan Bailey. Oh, was that thank you you said? Just checking. <laughs> All right. It was. It was. <laughs> Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much, sir. Edinburgh number one. Yes. Uh, here comes the vitriol. <laughs> and Joe Lowry, pleasure as always. Yeah, right back at you, Ryan. Listener, thank you again for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very soon. But for now, bye. bye.